This story of Babel has captured human imaginations over the centuries. And there's lots of different versions of this story. And uh, even for people who don't know Scripture, I think they would be familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel. We tell it quite often. But what version of this story have you heard? Because I've heard quite a few different versions. There's the version where this story is a warning against the pride of empires. Sometimes it's used as a historical explanation for why there's many languages in the world. Sometimes it's told as a far-fetched tale of humans climbing up a tower, climbing into heaven to wage war against God. I've even heard it used as an argument against urbanisation and why we should all go and live in the country. But I want to suggest that this story is really about what God is doing in the world and what he has made humanity to do and to be. This story is about God's mission in the world. And by mission, what I mean is this is about God's ultimate plan for his creation, what he is working history towards. And so to understand this story, we need to understand God's mission. And to understand God's mission, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment. So let me pray as we come to God's Word. Lord God, we thank you for your Word. We pray that as we consider what your Word has to teach us tonight and the, the amazing story of Scripture the amazing story of life and of the universe. Lord, may you reveal more to us of who you are and may we delight ever more in you. Amen. So Rod shared with us last week how God created a world full of delight. It was beautiful. It was excellent. But it was also incomplete. Now, I'm not suggesting that God messed up or that he left the job half finished. Rather, God intentionally created a world that was full of potential and purpose. But we don't often imagine creation like that, I don't think. Often when we think of Eden, we might think of the second picture, Paul, if we can see the, sec uh, the third slide. We might think of something like this, a static paradise that is perfect and unable to be improved. And, and in such a garden, there's really nothing for humans to do but to sit in the garden, lying beside waterfalls and eating grapes forever with God. And, and now perhaps that sounds appealing to you, but it isn't the picture that Genesis paints. Rather, God had a purpose, a mission for his creation. The world needed to be filled with delights from God and delight in God. Eden needed to expand. And that meant that Adam and Eve were created not to idle in Eden, but to leave the garden and take Eden with them. Listen again to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the first command that God gives to Adam and Eve is to become numerous, to leave the garden and to subdue the earth. From the very beginning, God's creation is bubbling over with potential. God's mission begins as a vision of the whole earth filled with numerous, diverse people spread across the face of the earth, all delighting in God and his creation. We were made to spread, to scatter, to explore, to wonder and delight as we journey out into the world in the presence of our God. So the tragedy in the Garden of Eden wasn't that Adam and Eve ended up leaving the garden. The tragedy was that they were forced out in faithlessness when they should have walked out in faithfulness. After the first three chapters of Genesis, as you read on through chapters 4 to to 10, there's moments of delight and there's moments of tragedy as humanity begins to scatter and to spread out across the earth. New delights in God's creation are discovered. And as you read through those chapters, there's things like uh, music being discovered and and architecture and, and agriculture and tool crafting and poetry. New families and cultures and nations begin to take shape, sometimes filling the world with delight, but tragically sometimes filling the world with murder and violence and hate. And when we get to chapter 10, just before the Babel story, it paints a picture of a world brimming with new cultures and kingdoms being formed. It depicts a world filling up with and beginning to discover the diversity and delight of God's creation. And it's almost like despite the fall, maybe there's a chance that God's mission of bringing the delight of Eden across the world might be realised, especially through Noah's family. But all of this comes to a grinding halt with the story of Babel. Because at Babel, God's mission of spreading the delight of Eden across the face of the earth, it it seems to stall as the people say, no more. We don't want to spread and scatter any longer. From now on, we will go up, not out. Look at what the people of Babel say. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Humans are a bit of a strange race, and we love to leave our mark on history, to leave a legacy. And throughout history, many rulers have tried to leave their legacy by building big things. Monuments, towers, statues... walls. (laughs) Think about some of the world's great empires and their babels, the, the, the pharaohs and their pyramids, the Babylonians and the Hanging Gardens, Rome and the Colosseum, China and the Great Wall, we could go on. 
But, but I want to suggest that the tower and the city in this story can be a bit of a distraction and a bit of a red herring because they're not the main issue here. I, I don't think this story should really be called the, the Tower of Babel. I think it should be called something like the scattering of Babel or the naming of Babel. In some ways, the tower and the city were just the byproduct of the real problem at, at Babel. So, what's going on at Babel? I think the first problem for the people of Babel is that they were trying to make a name for themselves. And, and we might think, well, what's the big deal about that? But, but in Hebrew, the word for, for name, sometimes it is just used to refer to a person's first name. But, but often, especially when talking about a group of people, it's more referring to the identity of a group. So, what I think is happening here is that the people of Babel are wanting to take on a new identity for themselves. Rather than living with the identity they'd been given as God's people spreading blessing and delight across the earth, the people of Babel wanted to forge a new identity for themselves, to name themselves. And so, in desiring to take on a new name for themselves, they're rejecting the name and the identity given to them by God. And the second problem that flows on from that is that in rejecting their God-given name and identity, they're also rejecting God's, their, their God-given purpose. They were rejecting His mission and replacing it with their own agenda. Look at what they say. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The people of Babel knew what it meant to be named by God. They knew they'd been tasked to spread His delight across the face of the earth. But Babel was a good place, a strong place, an impressive place. They weren't interested in spreading or sharing God's goodness with others. And so they developed a new identity. Instead of spreading delight, they would accumulate delight. They would bunker down in, and huddle in pride and fear. They would create an inward-focused empire in place of God's outward-focused mission. Do you know the, the, the language that the people of Babel use? They, they say, let us build for ourselves. Make a name for ourselves. Instead of their attention being focused outward towards God's mission, they turned in on themselves. Life became about their self-made name and their self-made mission. God was forgotten and his mission was abandoned. So the tragedy of the Babel story, much like the tragedy of the garden, is not that the people end up being scattered at the end of the story. That was what they were meant to do. The tragedy is how the scattering takes place. God's intention was to see humanity in all our delightful diversity step forward into the unknown as one people united in the name given to us by God. Instead, the people of Babel are forced out into the world, divided in their differences and confused in their identity. In rejecting the name given to them by God, they leave Babel with no name, 
or should I say they, they leave Babel with the name Babel, which literally means confused. So they leave Babel with a confused identity. And then in their fear of being scattered, they end up being more divided than ever. And so at the end of the story of Babel, things seem pretty bleak for humanity. But we don't have to wait long for some hope in the story, because in the very next chapter of Genesis, which we looked at a few weeks ago, we're introduced to Abram and his family. And the story of Babel is contrasted very much with the story of Abram. Because Abram is told to scatter out into an unknown land. And God promises to give Abram a name that will be great. And so the story of Babel, in a way, is, is immediately redeemed at some, in some sense, as God once again gives a name to his people, names his people again. And then Abram, in turn, re-embarks on God's mission to take his blessing out to the ends of the earth. So how will God's mission continue? How will humanity be restored to its God-given purpose? Genesis tells us to follow this story of Abram and his family and see where it leads. I think it's really important for us to remember that God's mission began before human rebellion in the garden. Before Adam and Eve ate from the tree, God had a purpose, intention and goal for his creation. His mission didn't begin after the fall as some cosmic fix-up job to fix the problem of sin, of, of God reacting to sin and saying, oh, I'd better do something now. God's mission began with a plan for the whole world to be filled with delight from God and delight in God. Humanity were given the noble task of spreading this delight as we walk with God. And God's mission hasn't changed. He is still going about filling the world with people, a people who delight in him and spread his delight across the earth. So that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and the reason that this is so important is that it affects how we understand the gospel. So often we say that the gospel is about Jesus fixing the problem of sin. And of course, that is a very important part of the story. But, but the biggest story is that God, through the work of Jesus, who fulfills God's mission and makes it possible for every tribe, nation and tongue to come into God's grace, to come into his family, and through the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's restoring humanity to our God-given purpose of spreading his delight across the face of the earth. So the end goal for humanity is not to be saved from sin and then to sit back and wait for Jesus' return. We're not saved so that we can then just turn in on ourselves. We're restored to our rightful name so that in the rightful name we've been given in Jesus, so that we can delight in our God again and take this delight into our world. We are saved for a purpose. In Revelation, we're given a beautiful image of God's mission fulfilled. 
And it's lovely that the picture it paints is of a people made up of every tribe, nation and tongue across the face of the earth delighting in God. Listen to these words again. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's a people who know their name. God is taking creation on a journey. A journey that culminates with the whole earth delighting in God as one people named by him. And there's glimpses of this already taking place all around us. Here in Springwood, we've been named by God and called to spread his delight in our neighbourhoods, our workplaces, our homes and the world. We've been brought together by God as a diverse people who would not be family except for what God has done through Jesus. Rod unpacked with us last week some ideas of what it might look like for us to be people who spread delight in praise or a people who are thankful to God or a people who look for the places where delight has been lost or forgotten and seek to bring life and hope in those places. But our passage today also wants us to look at our hearts and understand that Babel has a habit of creeping into our lives and our communities when our attention drifts away from God and his mission. Because Babel isn't just a tower or a city that existed in history. It's the tendency of human hearts to seek meaning and purpose and identity in places other than God. So Babel is the voice that says, I am only fully human when I get to choose my own purpose or craft it for myself. Babel is the voice that says, I am the all I am is my sexuality or my independence or my possessions or my position or my politics. Babel is when we try to find fullness of delight in these lesser things that were never meant to be ultimate. When we rename ourselves, rename our identity and purpose according to these secondary things, as if they define us, we're repeating the mistake of Babel. And there's immense pressure in our world to name ourselves and tie our identity to these lesser things. Left, right, liberal, conservative, that kind of, kind of language, political language that's out there at the moment. You have to be in one of those camps, and if you're not, you'll be placed in one of those camps. We love to give one another the identity we think they should have. What's it like for our young people growing up in such a confused world? where they're being told by our world, this is your identity, this is who you are, this is the group you must belong to. But if we are created to delight in God and to share his delight with our world, 
then we have been given a name by him. He is the one who has identified us, named us, because he's the one who created us. And so we need to keep asking these kinds of questions. What defines us individually and as a family? Who do we live for? What do we live for? What do we seek and hope for above anything else? What fulfills us? What is ultimate in our lives? Maybe we could ask these kinds of questions together in our families as we talk about sharing the delights we've been given by God with those around us. Maybe our conversations could be about the places and people we can offer hope to with our time or skills or resources. How often do we stop to give thanks and praise as we walk and work and play? How often do we stop to delight in God and and practice delighting in Him? If someone was to walk into our midst, what would they say this church family is living towards? What would they say our purpose is? Would they say we're a community that delights in God and shares that delight with the world around us? Or would they say we're in danger of turning in on ourselves like the people of Babel? And I think that's a question every church family needs to keep asking one another. Because it's really easy for us to turn in on ourselves. For the people of Babel, it was fear, primarily, I think, that seemed to make them inward focused. Fear of the unknown. Fear of being scattered. The desire to remain comfortable and accumulate delight for themselves. I feel that too. I'm fearful of the unknown. Fearful of stepping into awkward situations with people different to myself, afraid of stumbling over my words and making a fool of myself. Fearful of what other people might think. Fearful of discomfort. Part of me wants to run and keep my delight to myself because it would be easier to stay with the known and the safe and the comfortable. To privatise our faith and keep it behind locked doors. Our world tells us faith is a personal thing and it doesn't belong in the public square. But God says that's exactly where it belongs. Out in the world, bringing blessing and delight. Courageously delighting in God as we work, rest and play in every sphere of life. Showing people what life is meant to look like offering a glimpse of the fullest life to a world that, just like Babel, is very divided and confused at the moment. I'd like to finish with a quote from a book titled Gentle and Lowly. And I might invite you just to, if you'd like to, to just close your eyes and listen to this quote. I think it's lovely. It says this, We are pieces of art designed to be beautiful and thus draw attention to our artist. We are simply made for nothing else.
When we live to glorify God, we step into the only truly humanising way of living. We function properly like a car running on gasoline rather than orange juice. And on top of that, what more enjoyable kind of life is there? How exhausting is the misery of self? We are named by God. We are created with purpose. The world is full of potential and God has a destination to which he is driving history. May we be a people who delight in our God and participate in spreading this delight into every nook and cranny of this hope-hungry creation. Let me pray. Lord God, we spend so much of our lives searching for meaning, searching for our identity, trying to understand who we are and where we fit in this world, what our purpose is. Sometimes we search endlessly for that. And yet, Lord, you have named us. You have created us with purpose. And we see in your word exactly who we are. Lord, we thank you for our Lord Jesus, who has fulfilled your mission and made it possible that by your spirit, people of every tribe, nation and tongue across the face of the earth can know you as Father. And Lord, we look forward to the time where every knee will bow and every tongue confess and every all of creation sings your praises and delight. And in the meantime, Lord, may you teach us and help us to be a people who deeply delight in you. May you show us the places and the people around us where we can share that delight. Amen.